if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5. This evening we will be focusing on the first seven verses. Hosea chapter 5. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful to us. We thank you, Lord, that in it you guide our every step. You convict our hearts. Your word is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it divides, it exposes. And, oh Lord, we confess that that is so good and right. Oh Lord, we pray that this evening our hearts would be touched, that we would receive your word, and that your word would take root in our hearts, that we would praise you for it, that our lives would be changed because of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Hear this, O priests, give heed, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have forgotten, or excuse me, begotten, pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Indeed, he who has ears to hear, let him hear this very word of God this evening. Well, beloved in Christ, temptations abound in the hearts of men to go back and to play on the playgrounds we once couldn't leave. Too many times, Israel sinfully chose to craft and chase after idols as if they were play toys. And yet, as it is true with sin, many go to play and become enslaved, rather than playing and leaving as they thought they could. All of this, any combination of it, is bad. It's, it's terrible. None of it is good. And yet, like Israel, we try to convince ourselves it's okay too often. 
We can have a, a covenant marriage relationship with God and, and have fun with sin on the side, right? No. May it never be. But what becomes clear? The depravity of our hearts is exposed to our shame. And this is what God showed Israel through Hosea. And the shameful picture of their spiritual harlotry ran deep, didn't it? We've seen it through many verses, many pages so far in these chapters, laid out in great detail as the Lord paints this picture of it. They were steeped in it. It was like they were drunk with it. They were addicted to it, and, and they couldn't get enough. They lacked self-control. They weren't spiritually sober or alert. And even more, in their spiritually intoxicated stupor, Israel did some crazy things. They did things that should be repulsive to the people of God. They sought counsel from pieces of dead wood, Hosea said. They also went further to offer sacrifices to them on the mountaintops and, and burn incense on the hills. They consulted the staff for, for guidance, like Nebuchadnezzar shook the arrows in an act of attempted divination. And because of the great and great sins of the fathers, the, the sins of that generation, God said that their children would fall in the same ways. Their brides and their daughters would carry on adultery and harlotry. The tragic thing was that they wouldn't be punished, though. God would allow them to continue in their sinful shame, which would also bring shame upon their parents and their husbands. And remember that though Israel rebelled, the divine call came to Judah to stay pure and faithful. Judah, let you not offend. Right? Don't follow suit, God said. Israel was stubborn, but Judah was to remain humble. Israel was joined to idols, but Judah was to remain free from all enslavers of the heart. And so God continues his call for Israel to listen up. To know the truth from his words regarding what their future and the severity of it would be. So let's consider God's words for them to pay attention in verses 1 through 3. The details of their misdirected deeds and their prideful testimony in verses 4 and 5. As well as God being sought but not found in verses 6 and 7. Look with me at 1A. The Lord is very clear. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment. Beloved, never ever forget that judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. The fate of Israel was bound up in her leaders. Whereas the priests, those who were to spiritually shepherd Israel and teach them God's law, were complicit in sin, and even leading them in their idolatrous prayers and sacrifices to those wooden statues, they were commanded to hear this word of the Lord. And whereas the people contributed together to 
the national guilt so that they would share in God's judgment as a nation. That's clear here tonight. And therefore God commanded them to take heed and to pay attention. And whereas the king had the responsibility of keeping sin out of the land, punishing evildoers and rewarding what was good, and yet he failed royally in doing so as he likewise bore the nation's guilt. God had strong words for him and for his family too, didn't he? They needed to listen to him, God said. See how both the, the religious and the political leaders were indicted for what they had done. Guilty leaders. Guilty nations. So go the leaders of the nation. So goes the nation, oftentimes. Even so, as we consider the house of God, so goes the pulpit, so goes the church, so goes the session, so goes the church. Leaders are held to a high standard by God. We either lead well or we fail and fall, and there are dire consequences for the latter. And so what did they do? Look at verse 1b through verse 2. Because you have been a snare to Mizpah, he said, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuked them all. So God indicted the leadership of the nation because they had entrapped the people like a hunter sets traps for birds and for other prey in high places. These rebels didn't listen to God, though he rebuked them. They didn't care. Their ears were not open. They were blind. They were deaf to hear the word of the Lord. And the judgment would bear witness of that. The Mizpah that Hosea referred to is likely the one in Benjamin. This is where Samuel judged. Look with me at 1 Samuel 7. Verses 5 and 6. 1 Samuel 7, verses 5 and 6. We read in verse 5, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the, people, the children of Israel in Mizpah. There was great sin. There was great judgment. There was conviction for sin. Tabor is a famous mountain on the northeastern edge of the Jezreel Valley. Remember the Jezreel Valley and Jezreel being one of the things that God mentioned and places that God mentioned in chapter 1. So Tabor was one of the sites that was a high place for the worship of Baal. And therefore, an important lesson for us today is that those who lure and entice men and women to sin are to be looked at and considered as snares and nets to them. 
that are to be considered traps. For indeed, that's what they are. Watch out for them. Watch out for them. They may be people that we consider our friends. And yet godly friends won't lure and entice others to sin. They won't set the trap, walk you to it, and yank the rope when your foot is in the loop or you're standing on the net. Keep that in mind. Such entrappers of God's people pretend friendship. Such entrappers of God's people can often pretend good leadership. They're smooth talk. They tend to do the will of the people, or so it looks. They keep the people happy and pacified, while more nefarious things are going on underneath. They pretend to have your good and best interests in mind, but their words and their actions show that they don't, in truth. But take comfort that God will judge such sinners and their sin. We see that here. Pray for them that they would repent and turn to Christ. Pray for them that they truly would have open ears by the grace of God and that they would hear, that they would be able to listen up. God said in Ecclesiastes 7.26, And I find more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, and fetters are wrists and ankle chains, like you would see with somebody in a high-security prison. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. We see that these leaders, again, are very similar to this woman described in Ecclesiastes, aren't they? But look back at verse 3 now. Verse 3 of Hosea 5. He says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. Beloved, the people may have forgotten their covenant Lord. The knowledge of him in their midst may have been gone. But what do we see importantly here? God knew them. God knew them. There was nothing hidden from his sight. He knew their sin. He knew Israel was defiled. He knew that they had fallen. He knew that they had been affected by the world and infiltrated. It was because of his deep and revealing knowledge of them that they would be punished. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, we read this. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, the Lord said. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquity. My friends, never forget that God knows you too. He knows your sin. He knows the details and the depths of your known and secret faults. There is nothing in us that is hidden from him. Naked and exposed we are. And wonderfully, God also knows and sees the blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ, 
who has covered and paid for them all. You were defiled, but you have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So redeemed child of God, never forget that. The blood of Christ covered and paid for your sin. He remembers your sin no more, as far as the east is from the west. Gloriously, God knows you as a precious lamb in his fold. For he has made you that, and he has brought you in to that. To be known by the living God, even great sinners as we are, to be known by the living God and for that to be a wonderful thing. Because of Christ, you hear Christ's voice and you follow him. That's what is true of his people. But consider also what God said regarding Israel's misdirected deeds and their prideful testimony in verse 4. Look at 4a. They do not direct their deeds toward what? Toward turning to their God. Keep in mind, all deeds, which literally are doings or practices, they're directed in one of two directions, Hosea teaches us. They're either directed towards God or they're directed away from God. Some translations say their deeds did not permit them to return. However, the Hebrew, I believe, is better translated in referring to the directing of their deeds or the the putting and the setting of their actions towards turning to their God. Again, notice these words here. They, They were lured away. They chased the idols. They went after the Baals. They did all of these things, and they turned away from their God. And here he's saying, they didn't direct their deeds toward turning to their God. This was the problem. However, yet again, their deeds were misdirected. This isn't the first time. We'll see it's not the last. The people should have directed them in returning to their God. And why did Hosea say that this was true? Look at 4b, the second half of that verse. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. Again, we see the pivotal, the important, the foundational piece of the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God being in the land, being among the people, being in the people. And that guiding and directing our thoughts and actions. Hosea's reference to the presence and the influence of the spirit of harlotry here should remind us and and build on his words in chapter 4, verse 12. Where he said that the people tried to receive direction from what? From the sap. Because the spirit of harlotry had caused them to stray. It's true. This spirit drew them astray. It it drew them away from the knowledge of God. Again, knowing God involves both intellectual and experiential aspects. When someone is ignorant of God, they are both lacking in apprehending the truth about God as well as 
any relationship with God being non-existent. Not knowing God is a huge problem. Knowing the living and trying God is the marvelous solution. Knowing Christ is the pinnacle for his people and being in loving relationship with the Savior. And what do we know that is also true in regards to this? There is no knowledge of God apart from Christ. There is no knowledge of God apart from Christ. Turn with me to Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30. And awe in and take joy in Jesus' words here. He says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal them. And so he calls us to come. Come. I will show you the Father. I will, I will show you him as you see me. Jesus says. But look at God's words in verse 5 of Hosea 5. He said, The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. You know, time and again, really every time, the dire consequences of pride become so clear in the lives of sinful people. Pride serves as a witness against the sinner that he is a rebel against God and his government. And as pride comes before a fall, wrote, uh, Proverbs sixteen eighteen teaches us, Israel stumbled in their sin. And sadly, though, God called Judah to not offend, to not follow in Israel's footsteps in chapter 4, verse 15. We are told that they did just that, aren't we? Judah would stumble with Israel. And yet there would come a time when the people would come to their senses, Hosea said, by the grace of God. Remember the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Such wonderful good news, isn't it, Christian? Such wonderful good news of God's mercy and pardon of wayward sinners. But listen carefully to the call of verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he is near. Israel would return and seek the Lord. But would they find him? No. No, they wouldn't. Look at 6a of Hosea 5. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. And why wouldn't they be able to find him? Look at the second half of that verse. He has withdrawn himself from them. This is such a serious and a solemn reminder of the urgency of seeking the Lord while he allows himself to be found. It's tragic but true that a time comes when God doesn't allow himself to be found. Proverbs one twenty eight. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Beloved, therefore, there is always great urgency for the proclamation of the gospel. Always. In every occasion, in every place, in every time, there is always urgency in calling sinners to repent and to turn from their sins unto Christ for salvation and for forgiveness. For what was the reason for God's withdrawal, did he say in verse 7? They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. We see many things here, but again, see the treachery against the Lord. Again, referring to adulterous actions, the treachery against the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. But notice even the new moon will devour their her- them and their heritage. Multi-generational impact, yet again. The sins of the fathers. Hosea's words of treachery specifically referred to their marital unfaithfulness. They had adulterous relationships and illegitimate children. The people had begun celebrating new moon festivals, which brought God's judgment instead of God's blessing of their wounds and their crops like the people hoped would happen. Remember, as they consulted their, their wooden statues, as they were shaking and consulting the staff, what were they hoping for? They were hoping that Hosea was out to lunch. That what he was saying was the word of God to them regarding their sin and their coming judgment was just wrong. That there was some hope for them. Apart from God, and apart from returning to God, they could do what they wanted to do in sin. They could turn their backs on them and keep turned. They could keep being rebels and be fine. No. No, no, no. God brought judgment, not blessing. You know, God gives us insight into Israel's law-breaking in Isaiah 1, 12 through 14. Beginning in verse 12, he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Hear these words and hear what they were doing in chapter 4 on the mountaintops and in the hills. Hear these words. 
the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the, call to, uh, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. God not, would not have his festivals and the things and the gifts that he had given them, he would not have them defiled. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Beloved, as the words, guilty leaders, guilty nation, provide an accurate description of both the guilt of sin and the just punishment deserved. May we be faithful to seek good, just, and godly leaders to guide and to govern our land and to hold them accountable. God's blessing of a people comes as a result of obedience to his law. However, the sin of a nation brings divine judgment against that nation, and that must not be overlooked here. Guilty leaders, guilty nation. But as you walk diligently with your Lord and Savior today and this week, watch out for those, especially leaders, who would lure and snatch you into their traps. They may look friendly on the outside and say what sounds good, but they have deadly hearts and intentions to take you away from Christ. Don't let them do that. Stay true to him who has redeemed you. Stay true to him who has purchased you with his own blood. Walk faithfully with Christ in accordance with his word. He guides you in the way of everlasting. Never depart from it. Beware and be alert. Test all things with scripture. And hold on to what is true. When God through his love and chastening shows you that you have become misdirected in your life, that you're going in the wrong direction and away from him, ditch your pride. Fall to your knees. And with a repentant heart, seek the Lord and his mercy and his aid to return to him with your whole heart. For this is the call. Return to me, my people, from your adulterous ways. Repent and turn to your Lord. You will find his arms open to you. And finally, may this, passage, may this passage ignite a fire in your belly about the urgency of the gospel going forth in the ears of as many men and as many women that the Lord brings across your path, knowing that there will be a day when he cannot be found. Make today, make tomorrow, make the next day. Be, be the days that you proclaim the glorious salvation in Christ for sinners. They need to hear it. And we need to tell it. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, please turn with me to Hosea chapter 5. Hosea chapter 5. This evening we will be focusing on the first seven verses. 
Hosea chapter 5. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's word, join me again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, your word is wonderful to us. We thank you, Lord, that in it you guide our every step. You convict our hearts. Your word is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces, it divides, it exposes. And, O Lord, we confess that that is so good and right. O Lord, we pray that this evening our hearts would be cut, that we would receive your word, and that your word would take root in our hearts, that we would praise you for it, that our lives would be changed because of Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Hosea, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Hear this, O priests, give heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king. For yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. They do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have forgotten, or excuse me, begotten, pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Indeed, he who has ears to hear, let him hear this very word of God this evening. Well, beloved in Christ, temptations abound in the hearts of men to go back and to play on the playgrounds we once couldn't leave. Too many times, Israel sinfully chose to craft and chase after idols as if they were play toys. And yet, as it is true with sin, many go to play and become enslaved, rather than playing and leaving as they thought they could. All of this, any combination of it, is bad. It's, it's terrible. None of it is good. And yet, like Israel, we try to convince ourselves it's okay too often. We can have a, a covenant marriage relationship with God and, and have fun with sin on the side, right? No. May it never be. But what becomes clear? The depravity of our hearts is exposed our shame. And this is what God showed Israel through Hosea. And the shameful picture of their spiritual harlotry ran deep, didn't it? 
We've seen it through many verses, many pages so far in these chapters, laid out in great detail as the Lord paints this picture of it. They were steeped in it. It was like they were drunk with it. They were addicted to it, and, and they couldn't get enough. They lacked self-control. They weren't spiritually sober or alert. And even more, in their spiritually intoxicated stupor, Israel did some crazy things. They did things that should be repulsive to the people of God. They sought counsel from pieces of dead wood, Hosea said. They also went further to offer sacrifices to them on the mountaintops and, and burn incense on the hills. They consulted the staff for, for guidance, like Nebuchadnezzar shook the arrows in an act of attempted divination. And because of the great and great sins of the fathers, the, the sins of that generation, God said that their children would fall in the same ways. Their brides and their daughters would carry on adultery and harlotry. The tragic thing was that they wouldn't be punished. God would allow them to continue in their sinful shame, which would also bring shame upon their parents and their husbands. And remember that though Israel rebelled, the divine call came to Judah to stay pure and faithful. Judah, let you not offend. Right? Don't follow suit, God said. Israel was stubborn, but Judah was to remain humble. Israel was joined to idols, but Judah was to remain free from all enslavers of the heart. And so God continues his call for Israel to listen up, to know the truth from his words regarding what their future and the severity of it would be. So let's consider God's words for them to pay attention in verses 1 through 3. The details of their misdirected deeds and their prideful testimony in verses 4 and 5. As well as God being sought, but not found, in verses 6 and 7. Look with me at 1a. The Lord is very clear. Hear this, O priests. Take heed, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment. Beloved, never ever forget that judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. The fate of Israel was bound up in her leaders. Whereas the priests, those who were to spiritually shepherd Israel and teach them God's law, were complicit in sin, and even leading them in their idolatrous prayers and sacrifices to those wooden statues, they were commanded to hear this word of the Lord. And whereas the people contributed together to the national guilt so that they would share in God's judgment as a nation, that's clear here tonight. And therefore God commanded them to take heed and to pay attention. And whereas the king had the responsibility of keeping sin out of the land, punishing evildoers and rewarding what was good, 
And yet he failed royally in doing so, as he likewise bore the nation's guilt. God had strong words for him and for his family too, didn't he? They needed to listen to him, God said. See how both the, the religious and the political leaders were indicted for what they had done. Guilty leaders. Guilty nations. So go the leaders of the nation. So goes the nation, oftentimes. Even so, as we consider the house of God, so goes the pulpit. So goes the church. So goes the session. So goes the church. Leaders are held to a high standard by God. We either lead well or we fail and fall. And there are dire consequences for the latter. And so what did they do? Look at verse 1b through verse 2. Because you have been a snare to Mizpah, he said, and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. So God indicted the leadership of the nation because they had entrapped the people like a hunter sets traps for birds and for other prey in high places. These rebels didn't listen to God, though he rebuked them. They didn't care. Their ears were not open. They were blind. They were deaf to hear the word of the Lord. And the judgment would bear witness of that. The Mizpah that Hosea referred to is likely the one in Benjamin. This is where Samuel judged. Look with me at 1 Samuel 7, verses 5 and 6. 1 Samuel 7, verses 5 and 6. We read in verse 5, And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the, people, the children of Israel, in Mizpah. It was great sin. There was great judgment. There was conviction for sin. Tabor is a famous mountain on the northeastern edge of the Jezreel Valley. Remember the Jezreel Valley and Jezreel being one of the things that God mentioned and places that God mentioned in chapter 1. So Tabor was one of the sites that was a high place for the worship of Baal. And therefore, an important lesson for us today is that those who lure and entice men and women to sin are to be looked at and considered as snares and nets to them. They are to be considered traps. For indeed, that's what they are. Watch out for them. Watch out for them. They may be people that we consider our friends. And yet godly friends won't lure and entice others to sin. They won't set the trap, walk you to it, 
and yank the rope when your foot is in the loop or you're standing on the net. Keep that in mind. Such entrappers of God's people pretend friendship. Such entrappers of God's people can often pretend good leadership. They're smooth talk. They tend to do the will of the people, or so it looks. They keep the people happy and pacified, while more nefarious things are going on underneath. They pretend to have your good and best interests in mind, but their words and their actions show that they don't, in truth. But take comfort that God will judge such sinners and their sin. We see that here. Pray for them that they would repent and turn to Christ. Pray for them that they truly would have open ears by the grace of God and that they would hear, that they would be able to listen up. God said in Ecclesiastes 7.26, And I find more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters, and fetters are wrists and ankle chains, like you would see with somebody in a high-security prison. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. We see that these leaders, again, are very similar to this woman described in Ecclesiastes, aren't they? But look back at verse 3 now. Verse 3 of Hosea 5. He says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry. Israel is defiled. Beloved, the people may have forgotten their covenant Lord. The knowledge of him in their midst may have been gone. But what do we see importantly here? God knew them. God knew them. There was nothing hidden from his sight. He knew their sin. He knew Israel was defiled. He knew that they had fallen. He knew that they had been affected by the world and infiltrated. It was because of his deep and revealing knowledge of them that they would be punished. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, we read this. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, the Lord said. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. My friends, never forget that God knows you too. He knows your sin. He knows the details and the depths of your known and secret faults. There is nothing in us that is hidden from him. Naked and exposed we are. And wonderfully, God also knows and sees the blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has covered and paid for them all. You were defiled. But you have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. A redeemed child of God, never forget that. The blood of Christ covered and paid for your sins. 
He remembers your sin no more. They, as far as the east is from the west. Gloriously, God knows you as a precious lamb in his fold. For he has made you that and he has brought you in. be known by the living God. Even great sinners as we are. Be known by the living God and for that to be a wonderful thing. Because of Christ. You hear Christ's voice and you follow him. That's what is true of his people. But consider also what God said regarding Israel's misdirected deeds and their prideful testimony in verse 4. Look at 4a. They do not direct their deeds toward what? Toward turning to their God. Keep in mind, all deeds, which literally are doings or practices, they're directed in one of two directions, Hosea teaches us. They're either directed towards God or they're directed away from God. Some translations say their deeds did not permit them to return. However, the Hebrew, I believe, is better translated in referring to the directing of their deeds or the, the putting and the setting of their actions towards turning to their God. Again, notice these words here. They, they were lured away. They chased the idols. They went after the Baals. They did all of these things, and they turned away from their God. And here he's saying, they didn't direct their deeds toward turning to their God. This was the problem. However, yet again, their deeds were misdirected isn't the first time. We'll see it's not the last. The people should have directed them in returning to their God. And why did Hosea say that this was true? Look at 4b, the second half of that verse. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. Again, we see the pivotal, the important, the foundational piece of the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God being in the land, being among the people, being in the people. And that guiding and directing our thoughts and actions. Hosea's reference to the presence and the influence of the spirit of harlotry here should remind us and, and build on his words in chapter 4, verse 12. Where he said that the people tried to receive direction from what? From the staff. Because the spirit of harlotry had caused them to stray. It's true. This spirit drew them astray. It, it drew them away from the knowledge of God. Again, knowing God involves both intellectual and experiential aspects. When someone is ignorant of God, they are both lacking in apprehending the truth about God as well as any relationship with God being non-existent. Not knowing God is a huge problem. Knowing the living and triune God is the marvelous solution. Knowing Christ is the pinnacle for his people and being in loving relationship with his 
Savior. And what do we know that is also true in regards to this? There is no knowledge of God apart from Christ. There is no knowledge of God apart from Christ. Turn with me to Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30. And awe in and take joy in Jesus' words here. He says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so he calls us to come. Come. I will show you the Father. I will, I will show you him as you see me, Jesus says. But look at God's words in verse 5 of Hosea 5. He said, The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. You know, time and again, really every time, the dire consequences of pride become so clear in the lives of sinful people. Pride serves as a witness against the sinner that he is a rebel against God and his government. And as pride comes before a fall, wrote, uh, Proverbs sixteen eighteen teaches us, Israel stumbled in their sin. And sadly, though, God called Judah to not offend, to not follow in Israel's footsteps in chapter 4, verse 15. We are told that they did just that, aren't we? Judah would stumble with Israel. And yet there would come a time when the people would come to their senses, Hosea said, by the grace of God. Remember the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Such wonderful good news, isn't it, Christian? Such wonderful good news of God's mercy and pardon of wayward sinners. But listen carefully to the call of verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Israel would return and seek the Lord. But would they find him? No. No, they wouldn't. Look at 6a of Hosea 5. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. 
And why wouldn't they be able to find him? Look at the second half of that verse. He has withdrawn himself from them. This is such a serious and a solemn reminder of the urgency of seeking the Lord while he allows himself to be found. It's tragic but true that a time comes when God doesn't allow himself to be found. Proverbs 128. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Beloved, therefore, there is always great urgency for the proclamation of the gospel. Always. In every occasion, in every place, in every time, there is always urgency in calling sinners to repent and to turn from their sins unto Christ for salvation and for forgiveness. For what was the reason for God's withdrawal, did he say in verse 7? They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. We see many things here, but again, see the treachery against the Lord. Again, referring to adulterous actions with treachery against the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. But notice even the new moon will devour their her- them and their heritage. Multi-generational impact. Yet again, the sins of the fathers. Hosea's words of treachery specifically referred to their marital unfaithfulness. They had adulterous relationships and illegitimate children. The people had begun celebrating new moon festivals, which brought God's judgment instead of God's blessing of their wombs and their crops, like the people hoped would happen. Remember, as they consulted their their wooden statues, as they were shaking and consulting the staff, what were they hoping for? They were hoping that Hosea was out to lunch. That what he was saying was the word of God to them regarding their sin and their coming judgment was just wrong. That there was some hope for them. Apart from God, and apart from returning to God, they could do what they wanted to do in sin. They could turn their backs on them and keep turned. They could keep being rebels and be fine. No. No, no, no. God brought judgment, not blessing. You know, God gives us insight into Israel's law-breaking in Isaiah 1, 12 through 14. Beginning in verse 12, he says, When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Hear these words and hear what they were doing in chapter 4 on the mountaintops and in the hills. Hear these words. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the call to, uh, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. God not, would not have his festivals and the things and the gifts that he had given them. He would not have them defiled. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. 
They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Beloved, as the words, guilty leaders, guilty nation, provide an accurate description of both the guilt of sin and the just punishment deserved, may we be faithful to seek good, just, and godly leaders to guide and to govern our land and to hold them accountable. God's blessing of a people comes as a result of obedience to his law. However, the sin of a nation brings divine judgment against that nation, and that must not be overlooked here. Guilty leaders, guilty nation. But as you walk diligently with your Lord and Savior today and this week, watch out for those, especially leaders, who would lure and snatch you into their traps. They may look friendly on the outside and say what sounds good, but they have deadly hearts and intentions to take you away from Christ. Don't let them do that. Stay true to him who has redeemed you. Stay true to him who has purchased you with his own blood. Walk faithfully with Christ in accordance with his word. He guides you in the way of everlasting. Never depart from it. Beware and be alert. Test all things with Scripture and hold on to what is true. When God, through his love and chastening, shows you that you have become misdirected in your life, that you're going in the wrong direction and away from him, ditch your pride. Fall to your knees. And with a repentant heart, seek the Lord and his mercy. And his aid to return to him with your whole heart. For this is the call. Return to me, my people, from your adulterous ways. Repent and turn to your Lord. You will find his arms open to you. And finally, may this passage, may this passage ignite a fire in your belly about the urgency of the gospel going forth in the ears of as many men and as many women that the Lord brings across your path, knowing that there will be a day when he cannot be found. Make today, make tomorrow, make the next day, be, be the days that you proclaim the glorious salvation in Christ for sinners. They need to hear it. And we need to tell it. Amen. Praise God for his word, but... Pray together.